about this series because I love the idea that God instills dreams in our hearts. How many of you guys could say, yeah, I've either now or have at some point in my life, I've had a dream. I've had a, a hope, an aspiration to something. Um, there was a commercial. I don't know if you guys remember this. It's, it was back in the, in the 90s, um, way back, way back in the 90s. And, and the commercial was called The Crazy Ones. And it was, it was an Apple commercial. And in the commercial, a slow-mo image fades up on Albert Einstein. And the music swells and violins and cellos play. And this simple piano melody starts to filter in uh, to the commercial. And the images crossfade from uh, Bob Dylan to Martin Luther King, Thomas Edison, uh, Muhammad Ali, Gandhi, Amelia Earhart, Pablo Picasso. It's this gorgeous, really masterful commercial. And then a voiceover comes up and the voiceover says, here's to the crazy ones. It says the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in, st- in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. It says they're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them, but the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward, and while some may see them as the crazy ones, the commercial says, we see genius because the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. And when you hear this commercial and see this commercial, like it gives you goosebumps. Like you watch this commercial and the music and it's really well done. And you're thinking, yeah, I want to do something great. I want to dare to dream. I want to I be one of the crazy ones. I want to do something worthwhile, something powerful, something important in life. And I remember I was, when I was a teenager, I was like maybe, I don't even know if I was a teenager, maybe 12, 11, 12, 13 and um, in, in the church that I grew up in, there's, there was this evangelist that came through, and his name was Terry Smith. And Terry preached this sermon about becoming great. And Terry was from the old school of preaching where, like, you hadn't preached unless you had sweated through your suit kind of preaching. Anybody have any familiar, or is that, like, totally weird to you? Yeah, right? It's like, this is the preaching where, you know, there's some grovel in the voice, and there's a little tremolo in the tone, right? And the handkerchief comes out, and there's some sweat going on. It was one of those kinds of sermons. Some of you are smiling, like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Some of you are going, that sounds so bizarre and totally weird, and I hope he doesn't do that, and I won't. Um, I mean, I might. I mean, you never know. Uh, but I remember him preaching this sermon and I remember sitting there going, I have no idea what I'm going to do or be when I'm, you know, I was a little kid. I have no idea, but whatever I do, I want to do something that counts. I want to make my life count. I want to do something worthwhile. I have a dream. I don't know what it is, but I dream of doing something important. And I think that's all of us. I think all of us at some point in our lives, we dream of, of, of moving beyond the mundane, right? Of rising above mediocrity, of peeking over into the threshold of greatness and doing something strong and doing something powerful and doing something important. But then we sort of bump into the rough edges and the sharp corners of life as we get a little older. And sometimes those dreams in our lives begin to fade a little bit. Uh, And sometimes they sort of just diminish off into the background. Well, I'm going to tell you today about the Bible's ultimate dreamer, a guy named Joseph. Uh, And now some of you, I say the word Joseph, and the image that comes to mind, because you were in Sunday school growing up, you see the flannel graph, Joseph, 
in your mind, it's this guy. It's Joseph and the coat of many colors. You guys remember Joseph? Others of you, maybe, you know, from, you know, maybe you just have different images. Maybe you think of uh, uh, Donnie Osmond's starring turn in Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. You see, guys, this is what was wrong with the 70s. Do not do drugs, young people. You will end up in a flowered blouse singing show tunes. Don't do it. Um, Donnie Osmond, if, if you don't know who he is, it's okay. He was before my time, too. Apparently, he was like, he was like the Justin Bieber of the 70s. He was really, like, really sweet and nice when he started and just became overwhelmingly obnoxious as he got a little bit older. Um, but we're going to forgive him for that. But today, I want to I paint a different portrait in your mind of Joseph. Good. Okay, good. I, just, I was like, okay, is he still up there? Um, <laughs> um, a different picture in your mind of Joseph. I want to paint a picture of Joseph that looks just like you and looks just like me. Because Joseph experienced many of the same things that you and I experience. To understand Joseph, I want to back up and give you a little bit of history. So dig in with me for a minute, okay? Joseph, many, many generations before Joseph, there was a man named Abraham. And we talked about Abraham a, a couple of weeks ago. God spoke to Abraham in a dream. And God said to Abraham, I am going to make you the father of many nations. And through your offspring, through your progeny, the whole world is going to be blessed. I'm going to use you to bless the world. And then Abraham Abraham had a son named Isaac. And God also appeared to Isaac. And God said to Isaac, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to use you to bless the world. This is the dream. This is the vision that I'm instilling in you. And then Isaac had a son named Jacob. And God appeared to Jacob in a dream. These guys were visionaries. These guys were dreamers. God appeared to Jacob in a dream. And in that dream, God said to Jacob, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to use you to bless the world. Your offspring are going to bless every tongue, every tribe, every nation. I'm going to use you to bring glory to me. I'm going to use you to edify God, me. And Jacob then had 12 sons, okay? And one of his sons was a guy named Joseph. And Joseph was Jacob's absolute favorite son. In fact, that's where you get the story of the Joseph and the coat of many colors because his, his father made him this robe and it was like a tunic and it was well adorned and it basically signified to the other 11 brothers, hey, this guy, he's my favorite. And by the way, he's going to be the leader of our little clan, our little tribe. And so you need to, like, respect him. Well, all of the other brothers, obviously, Joseph wasn't the oldest. So all the other brothers were not too fond of Joseph. Joseph, like his forefathers, was a dreamer. But listen, I'm going to read you in just a minute. Listen to the tone of Joseph's dreams as a 17-year-old favored son, full of pride, full of hubris, Listen to the way that he dreams and listen to how it's different than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One day Joseph gets all of his brothers together, okay, his 11 brothers, and listen to what he says. This was not smart. He says, listen to this dream I had, guys. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves, 11 brothers, gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said, do you intend to reign over us, Joseph? Are you going to actually rule us? And they hated him all the more. They hated him before, now they hate him more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream that wasn't enough. I have another dream, guys. Come and listen to this, he says. I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars 
were bowing down to me. In other words, not just you guys, but mom and dad. Everybody's going to be bowing down to me. And you see, in one respect, Joseph's dreams are kind of like Abraham, Isaac's, and Jacob's. You think, well, maybe God planted that dream in him. The Bible doesn't say that it was a dream from God explicitly. And, and, and maybe it was a dream from God, but by the time that it filtered through the you know, machismo of a 17-year-old kid that was totally full of himself, these dreams just come off sounding totally self-aggrandizing. The sun, the moon, the stars, it's like a dream of cosmic mastery. It's not a dream about, you know, we're going to glorify God. It's a dream about everything in the universe is going to bow down to me, right? One commentator put it this way. He says, in Joseph's dream, the heavens do not declare the glory of God, but instead bow down to the superiority of Joseph himself. This dream is, is full of self-aggrandizing and self-promoting. And, you know, what's, what's really wonderful about God is that God even, you know, maybe God instilled part of this dream. Maybe this dream was really more of his imagination. The Bible doesn't say explicitly. But either way, God does not condemn him for this dream of glory. Listen what, listen what happens. This dream of, of, of glory, God doesn't say, listen, I don't want you to dream about that. I don't want you to, to, to uh, I, I'm not going to snuff that. But what I'm going to do, and we're going to learn in the next couple of chapters, what God does it says is he says, I'm going to take this dream of fleeting local glory, and I'm going to transform it into a dream of universal and eternal significance. So I'm going to take this dream, Joseph, that you have, and I'm going to make it greater than you could have ever imagined. And that's what God's trying to communicate to us, to you and to me, that God's plans for you are greater than any dream you have for yourself. They're greater. You may be dreaming of, you know, especially when you're young, your dreams are all about self. They're all about achievement and what I'm going to become. And God wants to take you through a process where that dream in your heart gets transformed into a dream that's all about glorifying God and transforming the world through God's power and strength. There's a guy uh, that I, I like, a guy, uh, uh, Derwin L. Gray, Transformation Church, and he puts it like this. He says, no doubt about it, Jesus loves you. He really does. His love for you is so huge that he doesn't care about your dreams. He actually has something bigger in mind. And so I want to I encourage you today, just take a moment, think about this. God is not mad at you, especially, you know, to, for the teenagers in our congregation, for the young folks. God's not mad at you for dreaming of fame, power, and glory right now and wealth. He's not mad at you for dreaming about winning the big game. He's not mad at you for wanting to get ahead in life. He's not mad at you for that. But what he wants to do with you is to transform that dream into something that will glorify and edify him, something that's bigger than you. And we see an amazing picture of this in the New Testament. There's this great story where Jesus is with his disciples, okay? And a couple of his disciples come to him with their mom. I love this story. Um, Matthew 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons, these two guys, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Jesus said, what is it that you want? Uh, and she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in my kingdom. This is the ultimate stage mom, okay? This is the mom that is bringing her boys. These are grown men. These are not little kids. Can you imagine the, con I mean, this is embarrassing. Like the conversation before that, 
She's like, listen, we're going to go talk to Jesus. We're going to we're gonna get you guys promoted in his kingdom. We're going to get you some bennies. We're going to get you a pension plan. We're going to get it stepped up. We're going to get you a raise. And come on. And they're going, mom, no, listen, we're not going to go and like, you know, kneel down and ask Jesus to give us. And she's like, no, you're coming. And so these two guys, they, they come and they're with mom and everybody's kneeling down. It's like completely embarrassing, right? Um, the other disciples heard about this, right? And what do you think they thought? I mean, they're ticked. They're like, look, you guys are trying to get a leg up on us. And so they're, they're angry at these guys. But I love what Jesus does. Jesus gets everybody together. He knows that the, the, other, the, other, the other ten are, are mad at James and John. He gets them together. And he doesn't tell them, hey, don't strive for greatness. Don't strive for, for you know, advancement. He doesn't say that. He doesn't crush their dreams. He says, you want greatness? Let me tell you what it's about. Whoever wants to become great among you, he says, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, look, I I want you to strive for greatness, but I want to explain to you what greatness really is. I want you to strive for fame, but I want you to know that it's more important that you make God famous than yourself. I want you to strive for achievement, but I want it to be achievement that matters. Achievement that counts. Achievement that does something eternally. Achievement that's universal and eternal, not local and temporary. The Bible says that one day Joseph's brothers saw him coming from afar off in the wilderness. And he's meandering through the wilderness and he's got his shiny little coat on. And it's saying, you know, and it's reflecting in the sunlight. And they see him coming and they're just, they're angry at him, okay? And they start talking because they can see him coming way down. They're up on like a hill. They can see him. And they say, one of them says, you know what, man? I, I, I want to kill this guy. And it's not the, man, I could just kill this guy kind of thing that you say. It's like, no, actually, I want a 187 this guy. I want, a, so I want some homicide happening here. We, we're going to kill him. And by the time he gets there, the other brothers are in agreement. And so they grab Joseph when he gets there. They rough him up. They throw him down into a cistern, a deep well. They pull off his coat. And they're gonna, what they're going to do is they're going to dip his, his coat in goat's blood. They're going to take it back to their dad and say, a wild beast must have gotten him. And so while he's down in that pit, in that cistern, a group of uh, a merchants come by on their way to Egypt. And one of them says, hey, you know what? Let's, let's not kill him. Let's, just, let's, make a little bit of, let's make a little money. Let's just sell him. So they sell Joseph for 20 pieces of silver, which is the going rate at that time. Uh, and they, they did. They dipped his, his coat in goat's blood. They took it back to their dad, and they said, your favorite son is dead. And you have to wonder if Joseph was thinking, what happened to my dream? Like, I had this dream of fame and fortune and glory and power and ruling, and now I am bound like a sheep in the back of this wagon on the way to market, and I have nowhere, I have no one to love me. Everyone has turned against me. Every, my father thinks I'm dead. My brothers hate me and want to kill me. What happened to that dream? And that was just the beginning for Joseph of a decade of hell in his life, year after year. I want to say that some of you that are here today, maybe some of you feel like the dream in your life has diminished. And for some of you, the dream may even feel dead altogether. Because nobody ever dreams of a future where you graduate from high school or college and you don't have any viable prospects for employment. 
None of you ever, nobody ever dreams of a future where you wake up lonely and frustrated and wondering if you're ever going to find someone to love. Nobody ever dreams of a future where you lose your job because of office politics. Nobody ever dreams of a future where your husband or wife leaves you. Nobody ever dreams of, of struggling with an addiction down the road. Nobody ever dreams of a child going off the rails and not knowing whether or not that child will ever come home. Those are not the dreams we dream when we're young, and yet those are some of the realities we face in life. But maybe, just maybe, like Joseph, God is using this time in the wilderness of your life to grow, mature, develop, and strengthen the dreams that you have into a dream that he has for you. God refines the dreams within you through the adversity around you. He refines the dream within you through the adversity around you. If you don't get anything else today, write that down. That is powerful and that is important for you to know. And there is not a character in the Bible that doesn't demonstrate that truth. If you name one character that matters in the Bible, I will tell you someone who faced adversity. Moses, 40 years in the desert. Jonah, in the belly of a whale. Esther, the target of genocide. Noah, decades being mocked and scoffed. Ruth was widowed in the prime of her life. Job lost his children. Samson lost his eyes. Sarah remained infertile for decades. David spent years running from Saul. Stephen was stoned. Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, robbed, imprisoned. You name one person in the Bible, and I'm going to name you someone who spent some, some dark times in their lives, who went through the dark night of the soul at some point in their lives. Joseph finally makes it to Egypt, and he is sold to uh, Pharaoh's executioner, a guy named Potiphar. Now, if you're going to work for somebody, there are a lot of better guys to work for than the guy who is the head executioner in Egypt, right? You think you have a bad job. Think about if your boss was wearing a black hood and sharpening a sickle all day long, right? This is who Joseph is working for. And then the story takes even a stranger turn. It's sort of a uh, uh, it, it, it's sort of a uh, uh, real wives at, of Atlanta sort of move in, in the middle of the story. Um, in Genesis 39, Joseph is working as a slave in this house. And it says, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. She comes on to him. And this is interesting because Joseph, we knew him. We, we first met him when he was 17. This is a few years down the road. 17-year-old Joseph may have said, you know what, I've been, into, I've been sold into slavery unjustly. I've gotten beat up. This isn't right. You know what, this is a little reward for my troubles, you know. Mrs. Potiphar was probably, you know, kind of a, a trophy wife. Potiphar was a big, big deal, and, and now she's going after this young guy. And I love what Joseph says, though, because it shows that God is, show, is, is, is maturing him and he's learning a little bit about humility and self-control and obedience because he says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You see, this isn't sounding like the brash, young 17-year-old that we met a few years ago. This is sounding like someone who's growing and maturing. Potiphar's wife still keeps trying to come on to him, and at one point when the house is empty, he comes into the house. She, you know, makes a move on him. 
He turns to run. She grabs his coat. He runs out. She's got his coat. She starts screaming to the other servants and makes a false allegation uh, of sexual assault. And, of course, then she tells her husband, Mr. Executioner. Um, It's not clear whether Potiphar totally believed her or not. If he totally believed her, the rightful punishment would have been his execution, Joseph's execution. But instead, Potiphar threw him in jail. And so everything has gone from bad to worse. And if the dream seemed distant to Joseph before, now it just seems completely out of touch, out of range. Sold into slavery, falsely accused of a heinous crime, now rotting in prison, and the dreamer has lost it all. But this is what I love about the story. Genesis 39, 20, it says, while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Here's the reality that God wants every person who hears this story to know. That when you're up, God is with you. And when you are down, God is with you. And when you think there's no hope, God's with you. And when you've been cheated, God is with you. And when you've lost your way, God's with you. And when you've screwed up, God is with you. When you've been hurt, God is with you. If you make your if you soar to the heavens, God is with you. If you make your bed in hell, God is with you. It doesn't matter where you've been or where you're at. God is with you every step of the way. His hand is upon you. He's in the, you are in the palm of his hand. After a few years in prison, Joseph gets this amazing golden opportunity. One of Pharaoh's uh, uh, royal court, a member of his royal court, one of his servants, a cupbearer, is there in prison. We don't know why, but he's there in prison, and he turns to Joseph, and he says, Joseph, you know, I've got, I'm having a lot of trouble with this dream that I keep having. Can you help me with this? And and Joseph says, well, let me me sit down. And so he, he, the guy, the guy, the cupbearer tells Joseph the dream, and God fills Joseph with the interpretation. And Joseph tells the cupbearer, he says, listen, in three days, you're going to be taken out of here. Pharaoh is going to put you back into your position in the royal court, uh, and you're going to be right back where you started. And then Joseph says, will you just please remember me when you're back in your station? Will you mention me to Pharaoh? Because I've been sold into slavery, and I've been falsely imprisoned, and I've been rotting down here for over a decade now from the time that I you know, was sent out. Can you, can you mention me to Pharaoh? And the cupbearer says, absolutely, no problem. Yeah, I'll, I'll let him know. Of course, the guy gets out just as predicted, just as interpreted three days later. And as these things go, he totally forgets about Joseph. Years go by. Joseph is still rotting in this prison. And then one day, Pharaoh himself begins to struggle with some nightmares that he's having. And he starts to turn to all of his soothsayers and his psychologists and everybody there. And he's saying, I'm having this dream. I have these nightmares. Can you help me? And nobody can help him with this. And Mr. Cupbearer is like, oh, yeah. I remember a guy, <laughs> this guy back in jail, this guy that I met. I bet he could help you with this dream. And so Pharaoh reaches out to Joseph, who's down in prison, and brings him up and says, I want you to help me interpret this dream. And in Genesis 41, Pharaoh brings him out of prison. And listen to what he says. He says, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, You can interpret it, and here's where we know that Joseph has changed. Listen to the way he responds to this. He says, I cannot do it, Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answers he desires. This is a reversal for Joseph. This 
Think about this for a minute. Joseph went from a guy who's always saying, hey, guys, come here. Listen to my dream. Let me tell you about all the cool things that I'm going to do. Let me show you all of the amazing things that I'm going to do. He goes from that to saying, let me sit down and listen to your dream. Let me help you work through your dream. I don't know if I can help, but I'm, I'm going to allow God to work in me and through me so that I can serve you, that I can help you, that I can help you get through your dream. He goes from a guy who insists that everybody listen to his dreams to a guy who sits down and listens to the dreams of others. Do you see that? Do you get that? And because of that transformation, God can finally elevate Joseph into a position of prominence because he's now dreaming God dreams. He's dreaming about how he can help others with their dreams, not just dreaming about himself. God fulfills the dreams of those who dream of serving him. In the story, Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream. Joseph knows the interpretation by virtue of God revealing it to him. And Joseph says, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. Egypt is going to experience seven years of prosperity, good grain, good corn. Things are going to go great for the next seven years. The subsequent seven years are going to be seven years of famine. There's going to be a drought. There's not going to be food for people. So what I want you, not what I want you to do, what I recommend to you, O Pharaoh, uh, humbly, is that you appoint someone to oversee these seven years of growth so that we can store up some corn and some grain and some food so that during the seven years of famine, there'll be enough to feed, you know, the people of Egypt and also the surrounding people. You see, Joseph's starting to live out this concept of blessing people other than himself. And because of that, Pharaoh says, Pharaoh immediately knows that this interpretation is correct. And he says, Joseph, you're the man I'm going to put in charge for that job. He takes off his signet ring. He puts it on Joseph's finger. He takes off his robe. He puts it on Joseph's back. He takes off his gold necklace, puts it on Joseph's neck. He gets his chariot for Joseph and he makes his, his trumpeters proclaim all through Egypt This guy is the prime minister. This guy is the number two man. Listen to him. Suddenly, Joseph has gone from 13 years down in the hole, down in the prison, in the enslaved home, to now being number two in all of Egypt, prime minister of all of Egypt. Why? Because he's now not dreaming Egypt dreams. He's dreaming God dreams. He's dreaming about how to bless somebody other than himself. He's dreaming about how to reach out to people other than himself and to save, not to be served, but to serve others. One of the, the, the greatest dreamers in our day and certainly the greatest document about the power of a dream is the, is, is the speech, I Have a Dream, by Dr. Martin Luther King. And what is absolutely exquisite about that dream and what elevates that speech into the canon of universal literary classics is that the entire dream is about elevating others. The entire dream is about revealing the glory of God by bringing hope and justice and peace to other people. That's the entire speech, and that's why that dream is a a God dream. Listen, I'm just going to read you one excerpt. I'm not going to get up here and get Martin Luther King on you, but I'm going to read you one little bit. He says, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places shall be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. That's a God dream. 
That's not a dream about self-aggrandizement, self-glory, self-promotion. That's a dream about bringing justice and peace and faith to the world around. What are your dreams today? If you want God to fulfill the dreams in your life, let me encourage you to stop dreaming Egypt dreams and start dreaming God dreams. Start dreaming about ways that you can encourage your colleagues at work or helping that student in your school who's struggling or mentoring the young men at Brittany Woods Middle School or teaching the children in our nursery and elementary or greeting the guests who come in our door who are burdened with heavy burdens in their life or serving the poor in our neighborhoods or visiting the lonely in the hospitals and nursing homes. Start dreaming of ways that you can bring glory to God by bringing hope to others. The last picture we get of Joseph is radically different from the first. At the end of the story, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt because they're starving. There's no food where they live. So they come to Egypt, and because they're foreigners, they are brought before Joseph. Now, Joseph, by this time, he's gone full Egyptian, right? He's got the mascara on the eyes, the whole deal, right? So they don't recognize him. He's got, yeah, never mind. He's a, uh, they don't recognize it, but he recognizes them. And they, he brings them into his chambers. Now, these are the brothers that sold him into slavery, okay, over 20 years ago. And they're now standing before him. And his heart could have been full of vengeance and anger and spite and bitterness. And now he is number two man in all of Egypt. He could have said, remember, I said you were going to bow down to me. Bow down to me. But you know what he did? They start talking about their homeland, and they start talking about their father. And the scripture says that Joseph was overwhelmed with emotion. Just, he, he, he sent all of the Egyptians out of the room. He said, Egyptians, everybody out. I just want to talk to these scraggly guys, okay? And when, when all the Egyptians were out of the room, when he had a little bit of privacy, scripture says he just broke down. He started sobbing. Scripture says he sobbed, he wept so loudly that out in the hall, the Egyptians could hear him. He was weeping, and these, you know, the, the brothers are standing there going, what is going on? And then he says this, he says in verse 3, he says, come close to me, tells the guys. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who sold you into, the one you sold into Egypt. And now he says, do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He said, God sent me ahead of you to save your lives by a great deliverance. You see what he's saying? He's saying, when I was young, my dream was to be served, but God's changed that. My dream is now to serve. I've come for something bigger. I've come to be a savior. Not to, not to be served, but to save and to serve others. Not to rule over you, but to bring nourishment and sustenance and hope and peace to you and every tongue, every tribe, every nation. God transformed that dream of pride and hubris into a dream that was extending out to save the lives of the world. I want to close with this. What is the dream that was in your heart as a child? What was that dream? And I also want to ask you this. Is it possible that God wants to take that dream and grow that dream 
transform that dream into a dream of hope and deliverance for your family, for your school, for our church, for your community, for our city? Is it possible that that dream that you have for yourself can be transformed and grown and developed into something greater than you, something bigger than you, something that's more important than bringing wealth and fame and power to yourself, something that brings glory to God? Can you dream of a life that's bigger than you? Can you dream of serving a mission that's greater than you? Can you dream of joining a cause that's grander than you? Is it possible that God wants you to dream again? And more importantly, do you dare? Do you dare to dream? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today filled with inspiration, filled with hope, filled with love. And God, we ask today that you reach down into our hearts and fan the flame of the dreams that you planted inside of us when we were young. And maybe those dreams for us at that time were just dreams of self-aggrandizement and and self-promotion and and, and selfishness and and pride and greed. But God, we ask, Lord, that you transform those dreams in our hearts. Let us dream of something bigger. Let us dream of something greater. Let us dream, God, of ways that we can serve you by serving our brothers and sisters right here in this church and in this city. God, help us dream of changing the world. Help us dream of being the crazy ones for your glory and bringing your glory to the people of the men and the women in our community, bringing your love to them, God. Transform us today, grow us, mature us, fill us with your strength. We praise you. Help us to dream again. Help us to dare to dream. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.